All right, so um, first of all, I just want to say, you know, super glad to be back. Um, the Lord definitely did much through the team uh, while we were there in Haiti. And, uh, uh, you know, as we were there, we, we dealt with um, the things that come with Haiti, you know, as far as the heat and humidity. Those two come together. Uh, they form a, a great thing called a heat index and to where when it's like 85 to 90, it feels like it's 7 to 10 degrees hotter. And uh, as I told um, you on Sunday, you know, um, I'm all, you know, you guys know I'm also a chaplain at a, at a hospital. And so as I was telling some nurses, you know, about the whole experience and everything, and I said, yeah, I felt like I was cooking. And one was saying, literally, you were, um, <laughs> and things like that. But with all of that, with tarantulas, too, there, was, there were tarantulas there. No snakes, though, so um, that was good. I don't think Randy would have gone if there were actually snakes out there. Um, but it was, it was great to have been used by the Lord, and we know that it's the Lord doing the work, uh, but it was truly a blessing. I am totally appreciative of uh, Eric and Jake that uh, came and taught on the two Wednesdays that we were gone, and I know they blessed you with the word. In fact, on one of, one of the times I was able to watch a part of Eric's uh, message um, from Haiti, and so that was pretty cool. Um, but anyway, you know, the Lord was doing a work here as he was doing a work there. And um, so, you know, we, we are grateful to be back. You know, as people, many of you were praying for us, and, you know, it's, uh, it's good to come back with a good report. You know, much, much was accomplished as far as the uh, building was concerned. We got a lot accomplished as far as the roof was concerned and the, and the, the framing. Uh, you can see pictures of that on, on Facebook. But also, and most importantly, was the fact that uh, we continue to minister to the people, and then they minister to us. You know, the church just is a one another ministry, and uh, and it's amazing how it is that as we went and offered ourselves to them, uh, they more than willingly offered themselves to us, and the Lord continued to knit our hearts together and just bless that time. So I believe it was just uh, anointed. It was uh, a moving of the Spirit, God doing a work. And we just joined him in it. We participated. We came alongside him and labored with him. And so I'm just excited, though, to get back into um, what we've been going through. As we've covered Deuteronomy chapter 9 a few weeks ago, we are now this evening in Deuteronomy chapter 10. So please turn with me in your Bible, Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 10. And while you're doing that, if you're not there already, I'm going to pray for our time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that we can come together in, in this building with this roof and walls and, and just air conditioning. Lord, um, how it is that we take these things for granted, and yet you've provided them for us. And so we are truly thankful for that, for in the comfort of these chairs and in all of this, we can worship you and sit at your feet and, and really receive from what you have to say to your church. I ask, Father, that by your Spirit you would give us understanding. Lord, that as we read through your Word, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to see what you would have for us to see. Lord, as we come to learn and study your Word, that, Lord, we would have hearts that are open to what you would have to say to us and apply it to our life to your glory. And so, Father, we commit this evening into your hands, Lord. We we definitely ask for your blessing, your anointing, for your spirit to move, and for him to teach us, Lord, what you have to say to us today in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Um, in this chapter, we continue to see how it is that the Lord is preparing the Israelites to enter into the promised land. Uh, this was basically a continuation from the previous chapter in which we see how God communicated very clearly to the Israelites that it was not because they were so good. You guys remember that? It wasn't because they were so good. It wasn't because they were so righteous, so excited, so full of passion. It wasn't because of any of that. It wasn't because they were deserving, because they earned that spot before the Lord, but rather because of the righteousness and faithfulness of God. That's it, period. God reminded them, reminded them of their faith, faith, faithlessness, their failures, not to put them down and humiliate them, but rather to give them more courage and faith in God. You know, when we're reminded of those times when we've transgressed and we've fallen and we've stumbled it's not in order to cause us to wallow in, in pity and just say, we're just not worth anything. No, we're worth everything. We're worth so much that God sent his only begotten son to the cross to die in our place. That's how much we're worth. But it's not in order for us to wallow in our own pity, but that we would be reminded of who is faithful who is strong when we are weak? Who carries us through our troubles, through those times when we need them desperately? That's what those moments are for. We see how it is that God is reminding the Israelites of their transgressions, of how it is that they fell short in the wilderness, preparing them to enter into the promised land. Reminds them of how the Lord honors repentance and humility before him. He is just and righteous, but he is also patient and full of grace. And remember that he prefers mercy over sacrifice. The word tells us that very well, very clearly. So here in chapter 10, we will see a renewal of the covenant, a reestablishment of the original promise between God and his people, a reintroduction to the law, and a clear declaration of, of what God expects and requires of his people. So let's start out by reading the first few verses here in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 1, which says, At that time the Lord said to me, and this is again, I, I want to remind you, Moses is recounting what's already taken place to the Israelites. So these are important points that he's reiterating to them. So at that, time, uh, at that time, the Lord said to me, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood and cut two tablets of stone like the first and went up the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets in the same written writing as before, the Ten Commandments, that the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark that I had made, and they are there as the Lord commanded me. So the Ten Commandments once more. And the Lord really wanted to make sure that the Israelites knew uh, this portion of their history, of what it was that the Lord did here. What we see here is Moses retelling the time when the Lord called upon him to come up to the mountain with two more tablets of stone 
And upon them, he was going to write the law as he had before, the Ten Commandments. This was when he met with them for 40 days and 40 nights. He had done this before. Now he's doing it again. And again, Moses is telling them this is exactly what, what had taken place. And I want to remind you of this. The only difference this time from the previous one is that the Lord commanded Moses to make a, an ark of wood, a, a, a box, so that Moses could in turn take those two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments written on them and place them inside of that box, that ark of wood. And so Moses made this ark out of acacia wood. Moses would, again, I want to remind you, spend another 40 days and another 40 nights on the top of Mount Sinai meeting with God, receiving the word of God, the law. The first time, as God reminded him, as he called him up on the mountain, he said, the previous two tablets of stone, as you went down, came down the hill, you threw them down and broke them. And that is very significant. It's, uh, it's basic, basically an illustration uh, of exactly what the children of Israel had done. They had broken the law of God in committing idolatry and worshiping this golden calf. Um, it was very sensual. It was ridiculous. You know, as we look at it and uh, see it from, from, uh, from our perspective, right? Especially considering all that the Lord had done up to that point in who it is that delivered them under the oppressive hand of Egypt. So, He's the one that called him back up to the mountain. He's the one that said, bring the two tablets of stone. He's the one that said, make this ark out of wood. And so that when I give you the law, you can put them in there as a reminder to be kept before the people of Israel. We have also before us an example of the effectiveness of Moses. What effectiveness? Well, it's the effectiveness of Moses' intercession. As he prayed for the Israelites that God would not put an end to them. You remember that? He says, I'll, I'll annihilate them, put an end to them. And I'll make a nation of you, greater numbers, greater in many ways. And yet Moses interceded on behalf of the Israelites and reminded him of his promise and covenant with them. This truly amazes me. James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You know, we had this discussion in Haiti. Why pray if we know that God's plans are God's plans? No one can thwart them, right? And I asked a question really to kind of bring it to the surface as to why pray if we know that this is what God wants already? Well, why, why would we pray? Um, my question is, as was the psalmist, who is man that you are mindful of him? Isn't it truly a mystery? God is righteous. No one can change his mind, let alone his actions. But he desires to hear from us and pray in line with his will. Why? Because this is fellowship. This is relationship. This is exactly what he desires for us and from us. That we would come in alignment with his will. As it is in heaven... So we ask and we pray that it may be on earth. 
as we do, we can see how he sees us agreeing with his character, who he is, with great understanding, and see his hand moving in accordance with who he is. That's really important for us to see that. It builds our faith. Faith comes by hearing, and as you hear the word of God and you see it in action and you see it come, come about, doesn't that build your faith? God tells us to pray without ceasing. Why? Because he desires that we truly are and will be and continue to be co-laborers with him in the plans and purposes that he has for us and within our lives and through our lives. He desires fellowship and service and genuine praise in our worship of him. God's grace in response to prayer is truly nothing short of amazing to me. It's absolutely amazing, but it is truth. And this indeed is indeed what he desires, that our hearts are in line with his, and we pray according to his will, according to his word. And so God initiates this renewal and this reintroduction of the law and calls Moses to come to him. Come to me. And this, again, again I remind you, is after the Israelites had, had completely blown it with the, this golden calf and its worship, committing idolatry, and this calling of the Lord, and restoration followed Israel's apostasy, drawing away from the Lord. Lamentations 3.22 and 23 reminds us that God's mercies are new every morning. The Israelites needed to know that, and we need to know that. His mercies are new every morning. The very first thing they needed to know is that this turning had everything to do with God's grace. And it was vital that in this turning, the word of God was reintroduced to them. It's not a point that you can miss. The very first thing they needed to know is that this turning, this repentance had everything to do with God's grace. And it was vital that in this turning, the word of God was reintroduced to them. Our repentance and restoration is always centered on God's grace and his word. God's word is what initiates restoration and what true repentance is centered upon and built upon as we express our sincerity and repentance and love of God by Abiding in his word. That's how we demonstrate that we are truly repentant. It's not just the words that we speak. It's not the, the, just the emotions that we show. But it's by our actions, by abiding in his word. And so the word was reintroduced to the people. You've turned away from your sin and toward me. But the way that you demonstrate true repentance is by walking in the ways of the Lord, by walking according to his word. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's according to the word. So that's central, central to a true repentant heart, a reintroduction of the word of God. And then we have verses 6 through 9, the establishment of the ministers 
God had ordained. Verse 6, it's, this is a parenthetical. So the people of Israel journeyed from Beeroth ben Benet jakan to Mazrah. There Aaron died, and there he was buried. And his son Eliezer ministered as a priest in this place. From there they journeyed to uh, Gudgadah, and from Gudgadah to Jotbathah, and a land with brooks of water. At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day. Therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, as the Lord your God said to him. So we've gone through this previously, but we see here how God established the, the priesthood by which his people would be ministered to and by daily. It was the Lord that consecrated unto himself this priesthood that would stand before him to minister to him, as we read, and to bless in his name. By the way, verse 8 is the key verse here. Um, their travels and where they went, um, that's important for the details, but, uh, but the point that he was making is found in verse 8. For this was the whole purpose for the establishment of the Levitical priesthood. This is what Moses was reminding them of. The Levites were pretty much absent until Moses came back down from up on top of Mount Sinai. He was up there the first time, 40 days and 40 nights. And it was at this point that down below, the people of Israel were gathered around this golden calf and they were worshiping it. It was at that point that these Levitical ministers, priests, were used as ministers of wrath and punishment, dealing with the transgression of the Israelites that occurred with this golden calf. Ministers of God demonstrate that they are qualified by both their election and, one other thing, their obedience to what God has called them to. Their election, but also their obedience. Just as the Levites demonstrated previously in being used as instruments of judgment, as well as being called to be used by God as instruments of blessings, as they would be required to walk out in the future. First, ministers to God, and then to the people for God. We should never lose sight of that. Pastors and those serving the Lord should remember this, always. We chiefly and supremely serve the Lord. Our faithfulness is to God alone, and in our faithfulness and loyalty to the Lord, we will serve the people and bless them as he intends them to be served and blessed. Sometimes we exercise our own ways of doing things. What we think would bless the people. But what we need to focus on as ministers of God is to minister to the people in the way that he has prescribed for the people of God to be ministered to. The way he intends them to be served. The way he intends for them to be blessed and built up and encouraged and counseled and exhorted and rebuked and led. Whether they agree or not. It really should make 
absolutely no difference. When I enter into the presence of the Lord, I will be judged by his standards, not man's. My faithfulness to him and not the appeasement of people, nor their accolades, nor their words of affirmation. You guys won't be there to say anything on behalf of anyone else. It'll just be you and the Lord. Were you loyal to him in serving him in the way that he had prescribed for you to serve him? Or did you do it in your own way? This servant is worth his weight in salt. A servant who simply ministers to God first and by and from his word and his spirit ministers to the people. Such a person demonstrates the very love God demonstrates to you and I. Such a person will be known by his consecration unto the Lord and no one else. His loyalty and his faithfulness to him alone. And so the Lord reminds the Israelites, I have established a priesthood to stand before me, to serve me, and to bless you. And so he reminds them of that. Verse 10, as we continue, says, I myself stayed on the mountain as at the first time, 40 days and 40 nights. And the Lord listened to me that time also. The Lord was unwilling to destroy you. And the Lord said to me, Arise, go on your journey at the head of the people so that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Uh, it's interesting because it's, you can almost hear it in Moses' voice, you know, how it was that he was kind of, you know, it's like, wow, he, he called me here. I spent 40 days and 40 nights with him. And, and he listened to my voice. Uh, we should always be in awe when the Lord, again, I remind you, who, who is man that you are mindful of him? It, it's just, we should, we should be before him with just uttermost humility in awe of who he is, who, who were before. We should always consider that. Two, these two verses are, are very significant in that they demonstrate what comes after restoration. Whatever was done, whatever was repented of, guess where it's at? It's behind. It's, it's back there. Way back there. The Lord says, it's now time to move on. Remember that God had given them a land to possess and dwell in. They, they were to look forward to what was promised, what was to come. Not behind to all the things that they had done in the past. It was at this time that Moses reminded them that he had ascended the mountain to meet with God. And God gave him the Ten Commandments during those 40 days and nights. But when he came back down the mountain, it was time to arise and go. That's what the Lord was telling. It's time to arise and go. It's that time. On this journey into the promised land. It was not a time to analyze the transgressions. Let's see exactly why it was that you did what you did. No, I think that God had already told them why it was that they did what they did. Their hearts were far from him. They were simply disobedient. They were simply to turn from those transgressions, from those sins, and move on. Arise and go. My people, it's time to arise and go. 
Just as there was a calling of the people to move on, there was a calling of Moses to lead the people to move on and continue on their journey toward what God had promised according to his word. It's like the, the, the person who's leading should say, you know what, hey, it's time to go. What happened, what's gone on in the past, we've repented of that, amen? Okay, it's time to get back up. Hey, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Too many people are just like analyze and massage and, and coddle their, their sin in the past. It's like, why are you doing that? Why are you dragging it behind you? What, what's wrong? I find too many people stuck in that massaging of sin that God has already forgiven. And he, and he beckons us to move away from that and advance with him. Let go. No, I've done too much. Can't do it. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't know what I've done. I'm such an awful person. Yeah, we know that. What we know, you're awful. You're horrible. So am I. None is righteous, no, not one. God says you are forgiven if you have genuinely repented and asked for his forgiveness. Otherwise, do you make a liar out of God? No, we never do. We can't. Because he cannot lie. 1 John 1.9 is very clear. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? It'd be good to, to memorize that verse. 1 John 1, 9. Why? Because that's what, he does, that's what he commands of us. Confess your sins. Please, I want to hear it. I want to hear a genuine confession of your sins so that you may repent, turn from those sins, and turn to me. Walk with me. Come with me. And stride with me. There is nothing God does not desire to forgive you of. And nothing too big that the blood of Christ cannot cover. His sacrifice was sufficient for all sins of all mankind. 1 John 2, 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Done. It's, it's done. Time to move on. Quit looking back. Remember what it says in Psalm 103.12, that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Once, once, once we ask for forgiveness and he forgives us and we've truly repented, can you ever see if you're in the east, the west? No, <laughs> you can't because it's always on the other side of the world. It, it, it's always there, but it's not there. Not with you. That's how far he's removed it. It's, it's just, it's gone. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. His grace is absolutely amazing. Now it's time to arise and go because that he, that's what he desires from us, that we would advance. Verse 12 says, And now Israel... 
And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. We're going to stop there. God's expectations, God's standard. Just as the Levitical priesthood was first to love God and then love the people, they were called to serve God, stand before him, serve God, and love on the people, bless the people. So the people must do likewise. Serve and love God first, and by that they are commanded to also love the people. This is a fresh appeal to them that the sins of the past are not to be repeated. There, were, there was to be a circumcising of the flesh, and it is to be demonstrated by the way they love God and by the way they love others. Too many people today are critical of others. You make yourself bigger by criticizing others. You know, even in, it could be church attendance, something as silly as that. Making up excuses as to why other people don't come, as if that would make us better. It doesn't make us better. Just be concerned about you and be humble before God and make sure that you're, you keep your eyes fixed on Him. It, it's silly how it is that we can be unloving toward others behind their back and then in front of their face. We're, oh, brother, sister, you know, we love you. Where, where have you been? We were so concerned about you. You know, it's like, no, you were talking about them. We shouldn't be doing that. But if you do miss church, you know, shame on you. That's it. <laughs> you should be in church. You should be in fellowship. You know, Hebrews, what, 10, 24, and 25. Don't forsake the assembling of us, the church, right? Come together. But what I'm saying with this is that the Lord is telling them, hey, you love me. You say you love me. Show it by the way you love others in every manner of life. In every way. Watch the words that you speak. Watch the thoughts that you think. Make sure that you filter them through the word of God. Consider that I'm there with you. And love each other. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. That's, that's how other people, they're, they're, drawn, they're drawn to you by a genuine love that you have for one another. We love because he first loved us. Right? There is a direct relationship between loving God and loving people. A concern for the things of God will lead us to have a genuine concern for the issues of other people. And to know God is to know how to deal and discern people's issues. In knowing God, we possess a wisdom that transcends the limitations of human experience. And discovery. And even the attempts at distraction and deception by, by each other. We learn to discern all of that. So what does the Lord, our God, ask for? What was he asking for? What was he commanding the Israelites to observe? Well, five things that we have before us. Again, we go to verse 12. As he says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? 
It's a requirement. It's an expectation. It's a standard. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. And so number one, godly fear. Possess godly fear. This is twofold, by the way. Terror is involved. You, you know, I remember quite clearly when I would cross the line hypothetically as a child because I was perfect. And, and my father, uh, he would tell me to go to my room. I knew when he told me to go to my room, it was like, man, it's all over. Oh, man. And, and I knew that it wasn't just a talking to. And I, I had this terror that I just experienced in my life. Right? And it's amazing. It's, uh, God made us this way, children. He made us in, a, in an amazing way. And we have these transmitters that reach from right back here to right up here and here. And all of a sudden, they connect somehow uh, when the rod is applied to this part. And we, all of a sudden, we understand. It's like, oh, we, yeah, we did wrong. You're right, right? But I remember I had this terror of my dad, you know, because I knew, man, I'm, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get the belt, right? This terror, we should also have that. I, I've heard many sermons teach kind of like a, almost like gloss over that right oh we shouldn't we shouldn't be in in fear of the lord no we should be in fear of the lord we we don't want his judgment to come down upon us we don't want the rod of discipline to be applied to us because he will he disciplines those whom he loves and so we miss this point this is part of godly fear but the other part is that which you hear often, and that is reverential awe. This is a godly fear that is expressed in the acknowledgement of transcendent and awesome power. Like, when you consider that, again, I, I said this earlier, we should consider who we are before. His transcendent and awesome power. We're before God, the creator of the universe. Consider that. This type of godly fear leads a person to worship and obedience. Those two. Again, consider my story, my past, and how it was that terror and reverential awe of my father led to obedience. I didn't worship my dad, you know, of course, but I was in awe of his amazing power. <laughs> I did want to respect and honor him. Again, this type of godly fear, though, leads a person, person to worship and obedience. So that's number one. Number two, godly, a godly walk or lifestyle is what we're called to. That's what the Israelites are, were called to, and so we are today. The life of a child of God is likened to the life of a pilgrim who is passing through on his way home. That's what a pilgrim is. He has a home, and he's going there. He's going, he's, all he's doing is he's passing through. He's a sojourner. Passing through this place and going home. He knows where he's going. 
And a godly walk is one that reflects a life of obedience to the pathway or road that the Lord has ordained for us to walk on. So the Lord has ordained this, this path. This is the path. It's narrow. It's not wide. It's not shallow. It doesn't take you to destruction. God has ordained the steps of the righteous. And he's called us to walk in a certain manner. It's not just any which way. The child of God, remember, godly fear, terror and reverential awe. And now we are to walk in our lives to have a lifestyle that reflects that godly fear. Learning his ways and walking in his ways. Stepping as he's ordained those steps to be taken. That's what he called them to do. That's what he calls us to do. Three, godly love. This type of love is a deliberate and conscientious type of love that is not dependent on any circumstances or situations that we find ourselves in, but is consistent because of the love that we have first been shown by our Lord. Many people have been, I believe, brainwashed into thinking that love has to be felt. This is a reference to a superficial, lustful type of of love that is fleshly, that is emotional, and has nothing to do with the agape love that is sacrificial and committed no matter what comes our way. That, brothers and sisters, is true love, and it must possess a willful commit commitment. Let me tell you, though, okay, because we are emotional creatures, we have been created that way, we have feelings, but if they're the ones that are leading us, we're in trouble. We are in big trouble. We have to decide. We have to willfully choose to love. Only in that manner. Because who wants to die for someone else? Oh, I, I, today I feel like dying for my friends. Yeah, I, I feel it. Nobody feels like that, right? Nobody feels like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice my time for someone else. Quite frankly, I don't feel like that. Right? Why? Because we're selfish people. But once you make that conscientious decision to deny yourself, to simply love, because we've, we've been demonstrated, we've been given an example of what it truly means to love, and we begin to love, let me tell you, that when you begin, to, this is how a marriage can be restored. One that has been completely been destroyed by your actions, the world, and all of the above. This is how it can be restored. Choose to love each other with godly love, agape love. And I can tell you that God can do with a marriage that is completely humble before him and loves each other in a conscientious and willful way. Oh, he can restore it in a way that and you can know a, a marriage that you've never known before. Never known before. That's love. That's agape love. This type of love is unconditional. How often we exhibit a conditional love toward God. And, it, and, and then it shows as we also exhibit this conditional love toward others. And toward the fellowship of the brethren. And even our worship of God. It all depends on how I'm feeling and what I'm doing and what I'm going through at the time. Then what happens is 
our priorities are all messed up. Fourthly, godly service. Israel was called to serve the Lord with unreserved and unqualified devotion. This marks God's people as peculiar. You serve the Lord. Yes, I serve the Lord. That makes you peculiar as you demonstrate your love to him. To serve him in all that we do. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says whether we eat, so whether we eat, so we bless him as we're eating. So whether we eat or drink, and then he covers it all. Or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything. We, we, we serve each other. We do the things that we do, whether you're an accountant, whether um, you're in sales, work in a warehouse, whether it doesn't matter where you're at, everything is to be done unto the Lord, as if unto the Lord. But there's more serving. There's also the body coming together. Check out Ephesians chapter 4. You don't have to turn there, but if you're jotting down some notes, take a look at that. Because it's, by the way, I know that sometimes we say, well, I, I serve him in my job and all of that and doing an excellent job and this is what I, it's all into him. And so, you know, because that's my ministry or, or home, you know, I, I'm at home and I'm, I'm uh, ministering to my children and my husband and all of that. I hear that from women and therefore I'm not going to serve in the church. Well, the husbands can be so busy too. Guess What? The word of God makes no provision for that. Ephesians 4, begin in verse 11 and go, go through and see how it is that as we all come together and fulfill what God has called us to within the church, the body, each and every one of us participates in the maturing of the body of Christ, that we would come to the full knowledge of Christ and not be swayed, not be pushed around by false doctrine, by those things that can come our way. It's when everyone does their, their part. So jot that down and, and read it. We glorify the Lord in everything that we do. We're called to serve him. How are you serving him? Children's ministry, in greeting, ushering. How is it that you are serving? I know that within this church, we have a lot of people serving. Praise God, because that's a demonstration of the very thing that we've been called to do, and we're covering it this evening. That's what we're called to do. Number five, godly obedience. God's grace today does not give us the license to sin knowingly and with abandon. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? If you're writing notes, jot down Romans chapter 6. Read through that. We may be inclined to certain things that does not give us the license to follow through with it. Romans 6 is very clear. You can look at other sections of Scripture, but godly, godly obedience is what the Israelites were called to here in Deuteronomy chapter 10, and it's what we're called to today. God has called us to holy living. Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. Walking according to the spirit that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Oh, my flesh is overcoming me. No, it has no more power over you. Get it through your head. 
Sin in Christ. Us having died to sin in Christ. Does no, no longer has us the way it had us before. We're not enslaved by it. All we have to do is choose. Again, we choose, right? We willfully choose. This is not what we're going to do. And we live lives not perfect, but we make every attempt to submit and surrender to the Lord that we would walk according to the Spirit, that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So he has called the Israelites, and so he has called us to the standard today. It's a standard. It's a, this is an expectation, a requirement. We read it, right? You read it. We read it together. The end of verse 13 says, it tells us that it was for their good that he gave these commands. You know, it's like, oh, you know, someone who says they don't understand who God is. They don't understand his character, how he expresses his love toward us. You know, that it could be just a bunch of things, you know, I promise you this and that and the other, you know, you can do whatever you want. No, 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 there's also, hey, these are some warnings too, right? All of these commands were given to them for their good. The word of God is given to us for our good. That wasn't just so that God could exercise power and authority over them, but to bless them and to serve them even if they didn't understand these commandments at times. It's like sometimes, well, if I don't understand it, you know, how can I really truly follow it? Well, if it just says very simply, do not jump. You don't have to, like, study that in depth, right? It's just, hey, I don't understand why I can't jump right now. It really doesn't matter, does it? I mean, as a parent, you've told your kids, don't do whatever, right? It's like, why? Why? Right? They just don't understand. Why? Because they want to do whatever. It's quite simple. If the Lord says, do this, don't do that, it's all for your good, just please trust me. Fine, Lord, I, I believe you. I'll walk according to your ways even though I don't understand at this moment. Why? I will demonstrate my faith and my love toward you by just simply being obedient to your word. 14 and 15, as we continue, behold um, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Why is it for our good? Why, why do you give us your word? Why? Why, 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 right? Well, this is why. Why? Because you are loved and you are chosen. Amazing. God is the Lord of heaven and earth, and yet it is remarkable that he has set his affection on the Israelites, chosen to love them and to demonstrate his love for all mankind through them, to bless all mankind through them. That's truly amazing. There is no such thing in the Bible as replacement theology. The church has not replaced Israel. Okay, I want to make that very clear. We love Israel. We know that prophecy has been fulfilled in them and through them. And we love them. They are God's chosen people. That's it, period. 
God first loved us, therefore we love. God's love is no doubt a condescending love. Like a condescending, we have a condescending God. We have condescending love coming to us. It cannot be any other type of love since we are not his equals. Nor deserving of his love. But it is by his sovereignty and grace that we have come to know it today. Praise God for that, right? That's his grace. Verse 16, as we continue, says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be lo- no longer stubborn. <laughs> therefore, because of this love for you, O Israel, cut off the flesh that drove you away from God in stubbornness and selfishness. Put it away from you. Cut it away. It's interesting that God, uh, God calls on them to choose to no longer be or act in a stubborn and selfish way. Again, God commands, but he's calling them to obedience is what he's calling them to do. Circumcise the flesh the, away from your heart. But you need to do that. You need to take it away from you. And this means that although our flesh, our, let's just call it personality, may be one thing, but we are required to, commanded to, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow the Lord. You've heard that before, right? That's in the New Testament. Jesus spoke of that. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The circumcision of your heart. It's a choice that is demonstrated out of a love and fear and reverence for God, by the way. Verse 17, as we continue, says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes, just, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Let's stop there for a moment. God calls on Israel to repent of the flesh, put it away from them, and to know that God's judgment awaits the one who refuses to do so. He's impartial. He is just. He is not partial and favors no one in judgment. We ought to remember that for ourselves today. If we fall into God's judgment in discipline, it is because we have failed ourselves to exercise true repentance and insist on our own rebellion and remaining in it. You know, we always pray that we we wouldn't be caught up in rebellion and remain there. But just know that if, if we are there... I. Let me tell you that I was in rebellion years ago. And just like I insisted in my own way, and I can tell you that I was disciplined. I had to come to a place to where I, remit, I, I had to repent. I had to acknowledge the Lord. It was either that or harden my heart further towards the Lord. I would hate to know where I would be today if I had just simply hardened my heart toward the Lord and com- completely rejected Him. I, I'd hate to think about where I'd be today. So we need to remember this. God is, is love, but he's also just. He is also just. Verse 19, as we continue, 
It says, love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Consider God's faithfulness and his greatness. Be compassionate towards a sojourner. Love the sojourner, for Israel was, was once in Egypt. And he was reminding them, hey, listen, you were once a sojourner in Egypt. You're traveling now into the promised land, the, the land that I have set apart for you. But remember, remember the pilgrim. Remember the person you know, coming through. Be kind to them. Take care of them. Be compassionate. God also reiterates to fear, to serve, to cling to him, and swear by no other name but to stand fast in the word of God. You know, what they would do is they would swear by uh, false gods. And so he was calling them, hey, listen, just stand on my word. If, if you're going to give a promise, give it according to my word, okay? Doesn't mean to, to swear. We, we aren't supposed to swear, but if you do give a vow, make sure that you follow through immediately with that vow, with that promise. He said, he alone is their praise, as he is ours. He alone is their God, as he is ours. Consider even now the number of people that make up the Israelites. Just, he gave them these, these last words here. Just consider. 70 people went to Egypt. How, ma- how many are numbered today? It's thought that it could, could be one and a half million, two million, even that. Wouldn't it be amazing? Just the number of people. He says, God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. He's faithful. That's his whole point. Look at how faithful God is. He's truly amazing. Who's responsible for this increase? The Lord is. He has made Israel as numerous as the stars of heaven. And this is the new beginning for the Israelites. To advance in God's grace and in his victory and in his strength with love toward him and evidenced by this love that is demonstrated toward others and a life that glorifies him in obedience to his word. They were reintroduced to the word. They were reminded of those things that they were to be held accountable by, his work. The five things that they were expected to follow through with in their very own lives, that they would, as they possess and they dwell in this land, they would learn to glorify the Lord. So for us, get up, fellow pilgrim, and let's walk in victory in Christ as God has called us to do so. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that when you forgive us of our sin, Lord, you don't recall it, but you bring to mind how you have put away our, our sins as far as the east is from the west. Lord, the reminder of perhaps how it was that we have sinned against you should serve us to, Lord, to want to avoid those things in the future, to learn from them, that we would not stumble in the same pit that we stumbled with times in the past, but that we would simply 
arise and go, looking forward, keeping our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your grace. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And Lord, that you loved us even, even while we were, still, we were still sinners, Lord, you, you loved us and you died for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us the way you do and you love us still today. And we look forward to the day in which we are in your presence for all eternity. We just give you all the praise and all the honor. We pray this in Jesus' name.